0: Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 7. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, be pleased to feed your gathered people. Feed us uh, the truth and the beauty and the goodness of your word. Father, that our faith would be strengthened. So Father, open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word. That we would, through the powerful working of your spirit in us, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's really, really good to be back here at Grace and Peace. Um, what is it? that saying, "absence makes the heart grow fonder?" Um, well, in this case, very true. Um, really miss being with you guys, greatly encouraged about what God has been and is doing in the life and ministry of this church, and uh, I'm excited now to be a small part uh, once again um, here. It's not only good to be back, uh, for me personally, uh, it's good to be back in Luke. I, I know that uh, this summer, uh, y'all had many men come in, and I'm sure uh, it was a good word every week, um, but it might have been all over. Uh, we're going to be walking through Luke. Uh, we started it about a year ago. We take breaks every now and then, uh, but we're going to be walking our way through um, Luke, one of the four Gospels, one of the four witnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, we're not actually going to start in Luke 7, I I'll flip back to Luke 1. I just want to read the first four verses, since it's been a while since we've been in Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught well, here, right off the bat in Luke, he lets us know his, his purpose and his plan. His purpose, he's writing to provide certainty. Not certainty about everything under the sun, but certainty about the person and work of Jesus. Certainty, not arrogant overconfidence, but rather humble certainty and sureness. Certainty and sureness about Jesus. It is okay to be uncertain about a lot of other things. In fact, one of the things I've been learning from a number of fellow pastors um, this summer is it's okay to say, I don't know. I hope y'all are comfortable in answering questions also from a watching world, I don't know about this, that, or the other. But Luke is writing so that all of us readers then and readers and hearers now would have certainty about the important things, the things that matter, certainty and surety about Jesus. That's his purpose, but he's got a plan to accomplish this purpose, to write an orderly account, a a narrative account that is historically accurate, thoroughly researched, and well-organized to show who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And you can go to Luke 19.10 where we hear these words, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And I believe we just sang that. To seek and to save the lost. All kinds of people. Lost in all kinds of ways. And we've already seen that as we've worked our way through Luke and we'll see that more and more. All kinds of people who are lost in all kinds of ways. So what, is, what does Luke want? What does this author of the longest book in the, in the Bible in terms of verses, what does he want? He wants his reader then and now to know for sure that Jesus is for real. Luke is writing to provide certainty. But what if you're not certain about Jesus? What if you've got doubts about Jesus? What do you do? What do you do? I I think there's a couple of basic ways all people deal with doubt. One way is to double down on doubt. Increase your grip on doubt. Be consumed with doubt. That's all you see in the windshield as you drive through life, doubt. But there's another way that some people, many people deal with doubt. It's to ignore it, to not think about it, to pretend it's just not there and go on, keep going through the motions. So here's how many people, maybe you, certainly me at times, handle doubt, to be consumed by it or to ignore it. But is there a better way? Is there a better way to deal with doubt? Now, remember, Luke is writing to promote certainty. In other words, to lessen doubt, to loosen doubt. Well, so far, as we've been in Luke 7 Jesus has healed a centurion servant he's raised a widow's son join with me now as i read verses 18 through 23 chapter 7 The disciples of John repeat reported all these things to him that is Jesus and John calling t- two of his disciples to him sent them to the Lord saying Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now back in three, chapter 3, verse 20, we know that John was put into prison. He, he preached against uh, what Herod had been doing in terms of marriages. Herod didn't like it. He gets sent to prison. And that was before Jesus began his public ministry. John the Baptist has been in prison, and so he's not heard Jesus preaching in the synagogue. He's not heard Jesus preaching on the plain. He's not witnessed the amazement of the people when it comes to the authority of Jesus. His friends have told him of those miracles, these things we read in verse 18 but he is unsure he's not sure about jesus are you the one who is to come or should we look for another now why is he unsure why does he doubt well if you go back to chapter uh, three and you read about john the baptist preparatory ministry for jesus he he was preaching uh, repentance. Uh, people were coming out to him. They were being baptized for a baptism of repentance. And he was talking about the judgment to come. And he talks about Jesus, the Messiah coming. And he's not even worthy to uh, untie his sandals. He's baptizing with water. But the one who comes after me, is gonna baptize with fire and have a winnowing fork. John's got expectations of judgment. He's got expectations for the kingdom of God to arrive with power, with force. All that language that you can go back and see in John, or excuse me, Luke 3, verses 15 through 17, baptism with fire, a winnowing fork, it, it's, it's judgment. John the Baptist knows that God's people are under rock, Roman occupation. Everybody is thinking at that time that the Messiah One aspect of the ministry of the Messiah is to throw off these oppressors, throw off the Romans. And what's happening to John? He's in prison. He's alone. He's isolated. He's alone with his thoughts, uh, conditions favorable to doubt. John is doubting. Are you the one? I'm not sure. And so Luke, in his effort, interestingly, to provide certainty, what does he do now? He turns his attention to doubt. Why? Because if we're honest, we all, in one way or another, deal with doubt to one degree or another. God knows this. The Holy Spirit leads Luke to bring up and tackle this issue of doubt through this section on John the Baptist. John's got questions. If the Messiah is here, why am I in prison? That's John's question. What's your question? If the Messiah is here, if Jesus is reigning and ruling, why is this happening to me? Fill in the blank. John's also thinking, why are the wrongs not made right? There's an awful lot of wrong going on in the world and it's not being made right. Well, let's focus again on Jesus. How about questions like this that we may have? Is Jesus who he said he is? Did Jesus really do what he... he, did what we read he did is jesus the only one is jesus the only way or is there another way is there another one that can do for me what jesus is not doing for me well since whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope as Paul writes to the Roman church. By including this episode in the life and ministry of John the Baptist, Luke's gonna show us, I think, a few things about doubt and what to do about it. So first of all, when in doubt, recognize that doubt is common. When in doubt, recognize that doubt is common, it's, it's normal. It it can be expected. Uh, Examples from the scriptures. John the Baptist. Later in chapter 7, verse 28, this is what Jesus says of John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Put differently, John's the greatest man that's ever lived. And guess what? He's doubting. How about the prophet Elijah? We heard about this in our adult and youth class this morning. Looking at Jeremiah, he referred to the prophet Elijah, a great victory. Then he becomes afraid and flees. He goes out into the wilderness. He gets under a broom tree and he asks God to take his life. I'd say Elijah, the prophet, Just like the one that came after him, John the Baptist, the prophet, battled some doubt. We heard in Jeremiah 20 this morning of Jeremiah's own doubt. You know, nicknames are often accurate, aren't they? Right? Doubting Thomas. Right? Doubt. We heard it earlier. I believe, help my unbelief, the the, um, the father of the son who, bring, who brings him to Jesus to be healed, the disciples can't do it, Jesus can. He exclaims, I believe, help my unbelief. He's, he's not 100% sure. I believe, help my unbelief. Well, not only do we have examples from scripture, and there are many more, we've got examples from church history. The church father Augustine, doubt is but another element of faith. He wrote, the German reformer Martin Luther, only God and certain madmen have no doubts. Think about that. Only God and certain madmen have no doubts. Calvin, the, uh, the reformer Calvin, when looking at Genesis 15, that verse where Abraham believed God and And God counted it to him as righteousness. A couple of verses later, Abraham's like, well, how will I know? He believed God. Well, how will I know? And this is what Calvin said. The protracted delay between God's promise and its fulfillment. That's why um, Abraham can question God. And and that's a, a, a proof of faith rather than a sign of disbelief. Francis Schaeffer, some of you have heard of him. He had a crisis of faith. He wrote a book out of it called True Spirituality. Schaeffer had to, I think it was go to, it was either back to Switzerland or France, and he he walked around in a barn for like six months. Is Christianity true? Is Jesus who he says he is? Is, Can the gospel be believed? It was a crisis of faith. It was consuming doubt. Schaeffer had to go back to square one. Oswald Chambers, the author of the devotional My Utmost for His Highest, who also interestingly taught right across the river in Cincinnati at God's Bible School there on Mount Auburn. This is what uh, Oswald Chambers says doubt is not always a sign that, is a ma- that a man is wrong, it may be a sign that he is thinking. Well, what place does doubt have in your life right now? Uh, when it comes to doubt, don't say, well, I'm just weak. I'm not intellectual enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough. Well, that's why I doubt and I don't have strong faith. Uh, no, my friends, if the greatest man, according to Jesus, John the Baptist, if he had doubts, you're in good company. And as we talked about in class a few minutes ago, Isn't it great that an episode like this is in the Bible? Isn't it great that you have Job chapter 3 and Jeremiah chapter 20 and other places where God's people struggle, are unsure? The Bible is honest about life. We can go to it when we're up, when we're down, Wherever we are, the Bible, God's word, addresses us. So when you find yourself in doubt, first of all, recognize that it's common. But also, when you find yourself in doubt, express your doubt. Don't pretend. Don't hide. Talk to someone. Share it. Look at the action John takes. He doesn't keep his doubts to himself. Rather, he shares his concern with his disciples, with his friends, and they support him. Notice the text does not say, when he asked his disciples and sent two of them to go to Jesus, they didn't say, wait a minute, John the Baptist, what do you mean? No, They, they didn't dismiss it. They supported him. You know, often we think that we can't share our weaknesses, our fears, our doubts. All that stuff grows in the dark, in isolation. But once it's brought out into the light, it's just harder to get traction, right? John expresses his doubt by asking a question. And what's his question? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Let's stop for a moment and think about the role of questions. The role of questions. Um, Are are we the kind of people, and is grace and peace the kind of place that welcomes questions? Questions amongst one another and questions from others. Now you hear of people um, who are rejecting Christianity. Maybe those in your family, in your workplace, your neighborhood, your classmates, maybe because they've got questions and they haven't found a place where they could ask those questions and not be dismissed. Are we a safe place for people to ask questions, to share their doubts? Do we listen to people? Do, do I take the time to understand their questions I haven't seen this on a church sign yet, but maybe it should be out there somewhere. Doubt, welcome here. What do you think? Right there on the corner? Doubt, welcome here. Or do we really unconsciously, subtly have a sign that says doubt not welcome? Only absolute certainty about everything. We've all seen the bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. How would John the Baptist react to that bumper sticker? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I hope that's not the sign that I have coming out of my life. I hope that's not the sign that comes out of this church's life, and I don't think it is. I think we do have a sign that says doubt, welcome, because guess what? All of us to varying degrees at varying times doubt, and we need to still be here. Doubt is often confusing and doesn't make sense. I mean, of all people, John, given his role as the forerunner, should have had, what, absolute certainty, right? Yet, as Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, John is struggling, he's confused, he can't make sense of it. Okay, you've expressed your doubt, you haven't kept it bottled up, Uh, rather, you've shared it with someone... And when doubt is confusing and doesn't make sense, nonetheless, thirdly, when in doubt, hold on to God's word of promise. Hold on to God's word of promise. How does Jesus respond to John's question? And this question, notice, it's word for word. John tells His disciples to ask this question and his disciples ask this question to Jesus it's word for word it's repeated Luke is saying this really is a question that John has and we read in verse 21 Luke the narrator in that hour he healed many people etc etc and then in verse 22 and he answered them go and tell John what you've seen and heard Notice Jesus doesn't give a direct answer, yes or no. It's frustrating to me when all these hearings go on and either the prosecutor or the defense is questioning a a witness and they, they say yes or no, yes or no. And whoever controls the question, you know, often controls things. Sometimes it's not a yes or no question. And Jesus doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no. In fact, he doesn't come through the front door, he comes through the side door and says, tell him what you've seen and heard. Tell him that you've seen and heard the prophecy of Isaiah 35 and 61 being fulfilled right here, right now. Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. He points to what he's doing. And in quoting Isaiah, he is drawing attention to his work. Not of judgment, but of mercy. He points to what God's word has been saying and says that it's being fulfilled by him. John is in prison. He hasn't been able to see with his eyes what Jesus is doing. When I was in the Navy there was a saying on board by ship and it went like this. You don't get what you expect. You get what you inspect. You don't get what you expect. You get what you inspect. Well, again, John the Baptist is expecting judgment. But upon inspection, what Jesus is showing him is mercy. Mercy. Works of compassion. If you turn back to Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth and he, he preaches. And in his scripture reading for his first sermon, you'll notice in Luke four eighteen through 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the, that's the, the scripture Jesus builds his sermon around to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you go back to Isaiah 61 in verse 2, you hear these words, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But verse 2 continues, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't say that. He stopped his quote of Isaiah 61 with the year of, of the Lord's favor. Why? We'll think about that in a moment. Well, in the life of a believer, the battle really isn't between faith versus doubt, but it's patient faith versus impatient faith. You see, Jesus has arrived. The Messiah has arrived in in grace to save, and he will return in glory to judge. John's having a hard time with Jesus delaying his judgment. John is having a hard time not seeing this day of vengeance, which will come, but not yet. Jesus is going around healing, preaching good news, right? And how does, what does Paul say to the Roman church? That it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. I have yet to find a verse that said, threats of judgment lead to repentance. Demand For vengeance, right here, right now, leads to repentance. God's kindness leads to repentance. So what if you're saying right now, I can't be patient, I can't wait. That's John's problem in prison. Hurry up. Execute vengeance on the people that have locked me up here. What do you do? I can't be patient. Well, pray, ask for patience. I mean, Scripture is honest about how people, even leaders, respond to God's unusual and surprising ways. You see, doubt often brings the reflection needed for significant growth. Next week, we will see Jesus praise John up one side and down the other. John is in prison and he's struggling. But Jesus doesn't cast him away for this doubt. There's freedom to express doubt. I was with about 50 pastors from our denomination at the end of September in Colorado. Some of these men you've heard of, most of them you haven't heard of, Pastoring churches big and small, publishing books, not publishing books, and every single one of them is sharing with one another the struggles, the doubts, bringing it out into the light and not keeping it in the dark. And my friends, there was testimony after testimony of the Lord's kindness to encourage and strengthen Bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. That could be us too, and that is us as a church. Doubt can bring reflection that's needed for significant growth. The Christian life, the kids know it, right? Promises made and promises kept by Jesus. We hold on, we hang on because Jesus holds on to us with patient and persevering love. His love can never fail. So when you find yourself in doubt, uh, recognize that doubt is common. Express your doubt to someone. And even though it's often confusing, nonetheless, hold on to God's word of promise. And Jesus says that anyone doing this in the midst of doubt will be blessed. In chapter six, we read of several benedictions that Jesus Declared and pronounced but here in verse 23 Jesus declares a benediction a blessing yet one that's often overlooked turn with me put your eyes on verse 23 and blessed is the one who is not offended by me you see You'll be blessed when you don't give up on Jesus, even in the midst of doubt. Because here Jesus brings it all back to himself. Who do you say that I am? Am I the one or not? If you go back to Isaiah 8, you'll, you'll read about the Messiah being a scandal, a stumbling block, a rock of offense. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is saying to John and to others that blessing comes to the one who's not offended by the uniqueness of Jesus's way of ministry. See, Jesus I believe is a stumbling block for many people because they're not looking for a God of mercy, they're looking for a God of judgment. And what does James say in his letter? in chapter two, that that mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, doubt can lead to walking away, as it were, from faith. And that's just someone who's become offended by Jesus. I don't like you, Jesus, and I don't want anything to do with you. But doubt can also lead to someone walking closer to Jesus because they're not offended by Jesus. So what does the blessing look like? Well, for John, he, he, he doesn't get out of prison. He ends up being executed, yet he has life. He has eternal, unending, everlasting life in Christ and for you Jesus may not be meeting your expectations today You might want to ask if your expectations can line up with scripture but if your doubt doesn't lead you to taking offense at Jesus you will be blessed with life in the new heavens and the new earth My friends, Jesus' love for us is patient and persevering. Even when there's doubt. So when in doubt, don't look to yourself and don't look around. Do what Jesus is saying, look to me. When in doubt, don't look inward. Don't look around. Look to Jesus. You see, Jesus is still the one. And for those of you of a certain age, I kept hearing Orleans. You're still the one. Jesus is still the one. And he always will be the one, the one mediator. The only access to a relationship with God. Are you the one or is another one coming? No, he's the one. So don't look for another. Look to Jesus. In Isaiah 45, we read, turn to me and be saved. What God's word is saying to us now is turn or return to Jesus. He's the one. We don't look, need to look for another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this narrative account of the greatest man, born of woman, who nonetheless struggled to believe, had some doubts. But Father, we thank you that our Savior did not turn away from John but rather we'll see praised him. Father, would you strengthen our weak faith? Would you enable us in the company of one another to bring our doubts to Jesus? We thank you that he can handle it and we pray in his name, amen. we doubt and we will.